0: Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We are starting our new series, which is called The Usual Suspects. Someone said to me, is that like the book? And I was like, I didn't know there was a book. I did know there was a movie. Um, But the text... For our series is found in James chapter 4. Now, you will see it up on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible. If you do have a Bible, you can turn to James chapter 4. And I said last week, if you've got an iPad or an iPhone, you can turn to it there. And if you have a Samsung, well, God help you? <laughs> All right. But actually, I shouldn't say that because my iPad actually is playing up and it keeps giving me... You know the old test Pattern screen. Did anyone my age and over, when when the TV finished at nine o'clock at night, the test pattern came on? (laughs) Well, my iPad's been doing that. So I actually have paper notes up here because I'm not that full of faith in case this thing dies. So I think it's a payback for paying out all the um, Android and Samsung holders last week. So anyway, have you found James chapter four? If not, you can look up behind me. So James chapter four, verse one says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? I know what you're thinking. Don't nudge, don't look at the person next to you. It says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And I don't know if you're like me, but I often look to external things to explain why my life has taken a turn for the worse. I look to the things externally, things that are outside, events and happenings that happen to me when, when, I can, when I find myself in that position, I'm sitting on the side of the curb, I'm kicking dirt and I'm saying eating worms and saying, nobody likes me, this has happened and this is what I've done. How did I get here? I often look at external things, things that happen to me. But this scripture tells us that it's not what happens to me, but it's what is happening in me. And perhaps you're like me and you sit there and say, you know what? I struggle with my temper. You know, people just annoy me to bits. Whenever they do things, I just find myself flying off the handle. I have no grace for these situations. And maybe you've just decided that, you know what, that's because I was bullied when I was younger. Or maybe you're here and you know what, you have a struggle with money. You're not generous. In actual fact, we may call you stingy, and you just have this concept of, you know, it's mine and I'm not going to, I've worked hard for it, I'm not going to share, it's mine. And you've reasoned it away by saying, but you don't understand, when I grew up, we had no money, so it's, it's kind of part of my psyche in who I am. Or maybe you are the kind of person that you just keep going through friendships and relationships and nobody seems to be able to understand you, nobody gets on well with you, you, you know, everyone always has a problem, you're easily offendable. And you write it off to the fact that, you know what, but if you had walked through the situation, circumstances, circumstance, I was abandoned when I was young. I was betrayed by somebody. And we reason it out that it's external events that happened to me. Now, I put a pause on that because I do understand that external events can have an impact on us. I'm not diminishing that. But my Bible tells me it's not so much the external things that dictate what happened to me. James chapter 4 is telling me, actually, no, Kath... It's what's going on in here that determines. And I love what the Passion Translation, how it, it refers to this. It says, Doesn't the battle begin inside of you as you fight to have your own way and fulfill your own desires? So it's not about whose fault is it, because the answer is yours. It's your fault. It's not what happens to you, it's what ha- is happening in you. Now, maybe you've heard the phrase, the usual suspects, and not in the fact because it's a movie or a book. But what it refers to is it refers to the people or the things that you would be expect to be involved or present in a certain situation. For example, let's say somebody has a heart attack. Once they've gone to the doctors and they've sorted that out and they've worked it through, the doctors are always looking for the cause. Okay, what brought this event on? And they always start with what they call the usual suspects. So when they're talking with the patients or the patient's family, the first areas they go to is, hey, let's talk diet. Okay, you know what? Because diet is a usual suspect for someone having a heart attack. Then if it's not diet, they look, well, what about your stress levels? Okay, well, how you work, what you're doing, where, well, how you're carrying your stress because if you're working in a high-stress environment or you're living in a high-stress environment, then stress is another factor, something you would expect to find in someone's life if they've had a heart attack. Or then they'll go to family history. Actually, this patient has a family history. It's going down the line. It's what we would call a usual suspect. Now, many of you may know that when, in 2016, my husband, Tony, was struck down with a blood infection, got himself quite sick. Once the doctors got himself quite sick, you know, just decided to, but once the doctors diagnosed what it was, this is what they do. They then go, okay, let's work out the cause. So they come in and they've got their usual suspects. So they're questioning Tony about his sexual partners because you know what? Sexual partners is how you can, contage, can contract a blood infection. They start looking, are you a drug user? Recreational or just recreational? <laughs> I can't think of any other way what reason you take drugs, but anyway. Or then, they said, you know, then they're like, oh, you know, you're quite fit, maybe you're a body, you know, like bodybuilding, steroids, whatever. Then they're saying, what about a tattoo? They're looking for what they call the usual suspects. This is, you've presented with this, this is how you got that. It's called a usual suspect. And do you know that it's the same spiritually? We have usual suspects that come in and sidetrack our world and our life. Again, like I said, perhaps you think, well, you know what? This issue of um, short-temperedness and not getting along with people or struggling to hold down a job or struggling to keep friendships... We look at it as in it's things that happen to us. But do you know what? I believe there are usual suspects, things that happen inside of us that God wants to talk to us about, because if we understand them, then we can correct them. So the aim of this series for me is about identifying what are some of the usual suspects that the enemy uses and that we fall prey to and victim to, to try and derail us from the preferred, preferred future. That God has in store for us. So this series is about identifying them and then helping us to be able to get keys on how we can, once we've identified them, how do we counteract them? So the first suspect that I get to speak about tonight is the suspect of comparison. I know, I know. And if you, before you sit there and think that doesn't apply to me, I know. As you walked in today, you got your coffee. And you looked at the guy in front of you's coffee and you're like, he got more chocolate on the top of his cappuccino than I did. Or maybe you bought the soup before and you're like, huh, I can see by the shadow they got just that little bit more than me or their bread roll was bigger than mine. Hey, we're all guilty of comparison. So it does apply to each and every one of you and it's a suspect that we want to shame tonight. We're not into shaming, but we're shaming these suspects. (laughs) All right. So just quickly, just a couple of truths about comparison. This is what you have to know and understand about comparison is comparison is a thief. Proverbs 14.30 says this, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Comparison robs us of our joy. Comparison robs us of peace. Comparison robs us of contentment. You see, I'm happy with what I have until I see what you've got. And that's what comparison does. It robs me of my joy. I was content with the home in which I've been able to work hard with my husband and provide until I saw what you had and then contentment left. I was happy and joyful and at peace with my kids until I saw how well-behaved yours were and my peace left. All of us struggle with contentment. Contentment is a thief. And we see it every time you go to the restaurant. Who's ever gone to the restaurant? You look at the menu and you think, I'm going with that. And I'm actually quite content and happy and peaceful and joyful even about the decision I've made. Until the waiter comes and brings everybody their meal and then it's like, oh, I want that one. Oh, I wanted that one. Oh, that one looks even better. Comparison is a thief. She wants to steal from you. She wants to steal from me. Andy Stanley says this: "We live in the land of err. I want whatever someone else has, I want that plus er." In other words, if they're rich, I want to be rich er. If they're happy, I want to be happy, er. If, ba- if they're good. I want to be better, because good <laughs> if they're best, <laughs> I want to be better, I want to be stronger, I want to be faster. I love it, Craig Rochelle goes, no, 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 we don't live in the end, and this is just a prime example of what I'm going to say in terms of comparison, we don't live in the land of er. he says, we live in the land of Est, I want to be the happiest, the bestest, the strongest, the fastest the richest comparison is a thief the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else where comparison begins contentment ends comparison will steal what it is you already have so if you're sitting there thinking oh don't even I'm not happy with what I've got you let comparison rule in your heart you let that suspect take over he's going to rob you of what it is you already have. So comparison is a thief. Another fact about comparison is comparison is bias. You see, comparison doesn't fight fair Because when we compare, two things happen. We either feel inferior or we feel, feel superior. Yep. See, when I compare what I don't have to what you have, I feel inferior. Well, it's not fair. You've got all this and I don't. I feel inferior instantly. And when I compare what I do have to what you don't have, I feel superior. And neither are God honouring. Comparison is biased. And we never, ever, ever compare fairly. It's not like we compare apples with apples. We compare apples with bananas. What do I mean by that? I mean that take social media and Instagram. We compare a snapshot of an event... highlight reel as such to our behind the scenes. So I look, you scroll through um, Instagram and you see this beautiful family shot. They're always wearing the denim pants, the crisp white shirts and they're all smiling. They look Christmas card perfect. And then you look at your photos and the kids in the background picking their nose or doing whatever. Like I can't get my kids to sit down and have a decent photo. Bailey's got this funny eye look. Mitch does something with his mouth. It's like, come on. But because I'm in the behind the scenes, I'm seeing what's going on, and I'm comparing that with a photo that I'm scrolling through on Instagram. Now, I don't know that it took a 1,000 shots for them to get that shot. There's 27 different filters on there. And in actual fact, they Photoshopped kids in that aren't even theirs. I don't know. (laughs) But that's what comparison will do. It's bias. It's not fair. It doesn't fight fair. And we can often, I never compare what I have with what you have. I always compare what I don't have with what you have. It's not fair. Comparison is bias. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says this. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. They are not wise. I like, wise but is a, from the Greek word sophos, which means enlightened, Sharp or bright. What that scripture is effectively saying, what God is saying to us, is that when you compare yourself, you're not enlightened, you're not sharp, and oh, by the way, you ain't bright. <laughs> and if you think that's funny, listen to this. I just went through the um, different translations. The, ter- the Passion Translation says, instead of "not," they are not wise, it says, what's self delusion? The New Living Translation says, How ignorant. And the Living Bible, you've got to love the Living Bible, just says, what stupidity? (laughs) Comparison is bias. The other thing you need to know about our friend, or not so friendly friend, is comparison is a liar. Comparison lies to you. Comparison lies to me. Do you know what the main lie that comparison tells us? It says that God is holding out on you. That's what comparison is saying. Go back to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter two. God makes Adam, he's in the garden. He says, it's not good that man should be alone. He makes a suitable helper for him. He says, go, you have this whole garden to yourself. Anything you want, except what? One tree. And in chapter three, the enemy comes up to Eve and he says, is it really true that God said you cannot eat from the trees in the garden? She goes, oh, no, 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 no. He just says the one tree. And it's right then and there that comparison starts to lie. Eve started to think, hang on a second, God's holding out on me. That's what comparison does. I'm like, girlfriend, you had 99 trees and you want to look at one. And as I'm getting indignant with Eve, I feel the finger pointing back at me saying, Kath, how many times have you forgotten the 99 trees that you have because you're so fixated on the one? comparison is a lie, it's telling you God is holding out on you. We should have the, um, I can't think of the word, we should have the, the thought of the fact that I've got 99 trees, 99 trees. Do you know what that means? That means for over three months, I don't have to eat the same thing. My kids go, oh, second day in a row we've got that thing. It's like 99 trees, three and a bit months. Never have to eat the same thing. Comparison is a lie. Comparison tells you God is holding out on you. And we wonder why we get to the point where we say it's God plus. I'm single. God, I love you, but I'm single. We're not saying, God, I don't love you. We're just saying, but God, I want a plus. Guess what comparison says? It's God plus. What's your plus? Is it the husband that you don't have? Is it the kids that you haven't yet got? Is it the job? That you wanted, the finance package that you need, the car you've been, it's God plus. A comparison is a liar. Comparison tells you God is holding out on you. And God just says, Am I not enough? Yeah. Comparison yeah. is a liar. What comparison will get you to do is question God's wisdom and goodness towards you. I love the scripture where it says, how does the potter say? Does the pot say to the potter, what, no handle? It's kind of, I think it's in the message translation. It's when the potter, it says he got a lump of clay and the potter can decide what he wants to make out of the clay. It's a picture of God. We're lumps of clay. He formed us out of dirt. What? How he wants to make us is completely up to him. He says, I formed you. I knit you together in, my mother, in your mother's womb. And comparison says, God, you didn't do a good enough job. I would like to have been taller. I would have liked dark hair. And these hips, I feel like Henrietta the hippo. I'd rather have. <laughs> We're telling God, you know what? You didn't do a good enough job. You're holding out on me. You, with The plans and the purpose you have for me, I'd like to change them. And God says, no, 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 I have a plan and a purpose for you. Romans 12, verse 4 to 6 says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Comparison wants us to believe that God got it wrong. Well, you gave her that. Why can't you give it to me? And he says, I knit you together. i formed you. You are wonderfully and fearfully made. Comparison is a liar. So how then do we beat comparison? Well, I believe the answer is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance, the mark right the the race marked out for us how do we beat this usual suspect of comparison we have to run our race god has a race for each and every one of us he's got a race marked out for you he's got a race marked out for you he's got a race marked out for you and you and you and you and me we've got our own race and if you want to beat this usual suspect of comparison Stop looking at everybody else's race and start running your race. And just quickly, I want to share three things that I help, or that I hope will help you not so much run your race, but remember in running your race, three little catch cries that you can say, actually, is this what I'm doing? And the first one is this. How can you run your race better? Is you've got to remember you live where you look. You live where you look. Colossians 3 verse 2 says this, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. Because what you focus on is what you see. How's this? I read this just last week. It's called the Invisible Gorilla Experiment Video. In an experiment video created by Harvard University, so it's legit, okay, I didn't make it up. It's not just a Google thing. In 1999, they got six people in black and white shirts to pass basketballs back and forth. And they got people to watch this video of these people in black, black and white shirts passing basketballs back and forth. A voice asks the viewers to count how many times the people in white shirts pass the ball. Half of those watching the video missed something very obvious, a gorilla. I mean, come on, a gorilla is pretty obvious. Someone in a gorilla suit walks through the basketball passes, very clearly faces the camera, thumps his chest and walks off screen. Half of the observers are so focused on the passes between the white shirt people, they totally miss the gorilla. What you look at affects your view of things. I'm here to ask you and I'm here to ask me Tonight What's your gorilla? What's your gorilla? Are you so focused on what you don't have, on what hasn't been done or what someone else has that you're missing what's right before you. To run your race, you've got to remember you live where you look. Are you so focused on what your friends have? Oh Well, if they had that. If I've got that, I'd be able to do that. If I had this, I'd be able to do that. I see it all the time, it, it creeps into my world. So focused on what I have to do for my kids, washing, ironing, doing that you forget the beauty of, I've actually got a family. Kids, so focused on, oh, mum and dad's rules, got to be in by midnight, got to do the dishes, got to do this, hey, got It's like, are you so focused on that, you're not seeing the care, the provision, that possibly mum and dad know a little bit more and they're putting some boundaries in place for your benefit? Are you an employee? He's just like you know what. Every time I present my thing to my boss, he's always got something to say about this and that, or the teacher, or my mentor, my connect group, my leader. Well, they've always got. Are you so focused on what they're talking to you about changing that you're not seeing that actually they believe in me? They've seen something in me, and they're bringing something to my attention so that I can get better. What's your gorilla? You want to run your own race, and you need to remember that you live where you look. What are you looking at? Hey, social media has its advantages. But sometimes I'm overly concerned, of, hey, it's too much more than negative. We're so busy filling our lives with what everybody else is doing on social media. And then we wonder why we've got all these battles and things raging within us because comparison has just reared its ugly head and we're feeding it. We keep looking at it. Oh, but if I had that and if I had that, I'm going to, how many times people are in debt? I'm going to go buy a new car. I'm going to, because they got one, I can get one. They may be able to get one, but you might not be. But we live where you look. We've got to start looking in the right places. Are you looking at social media, magazines, your friends? Or are you looking at God's Word? What He says about you and over you. Are you looking at what you have? Like I said, you can complain about everything you've got to do to look after this family that God gave me. And yet people are saying, I would love a family to be able to look after. What are you looking at? Your prize is at the end of your race. So you need to stay in your lane. And the only way you'll stay in your lane is if you look straight ahead to the end of your lane and stop looking at everybody else's. And remember, because where I look is where I live. Secondly, is you veer where you steer. Proverbs 23, seven says this, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Now, I know this is not just relevant to me because I helped teach my kids how to drive and I saw them do the same thing. But I don't know about you, but as I'm driving, maybe our illustrious driving instructor, Mark Fraser, will be able to tell us why (laughs) later on. But, you know, often you're driving and you want to change lanes. So you put the indicator on, you go to look, but I know it's not just me, all right? And I know it's not just because I'm a woman and a Christian driver, okay? (laughs) But invariably, you put your indicator on, I think about changing lanes. When I look back, I've already steered. Because my brain is thinking changing lanes, my hands have turned the wheel, and I'm already veering into the next lane. Because you veer where you steer. And that's what comparison does to us. And we have to start thinking about what we think about. Because what we think about... So I'm thinking about changing lanes... And because I'm thinking about changing lanes, I'm already steering. And where I'm steering, I'm already veering to. And we do it in a car, but I'm telling you, we do it in life. And if you want to run your race well, then you've got to remember, I, steer, I veer where I steer. So where I steer is all important. We need to watch what we think about. Because what you think about, outworks in your life. If you're forever thinking, well, I'm no good, and I'm not this, and I never amount to much, and I, well, you know what? That actually will come to pass in your world, not because it's true, but because of what you think. Because what you think about is what manifests. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What you think about directs what you do. So you might not be silly, but if you keep thinking that you're silly, you'll probably end up doing silly things because what you think about is steering where you're going and where you steer is where you veer. So you've got to watch your thought life. The scripture says, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I'm not saying you won't have those thoughts. It's what you do with it. Are you going to let those thoughts steer you this way and then veer your life off? Or are you going to say, no, you know what? Those thoughts are there, but I'm going to take captive. I'm going to make them obedient to Christ. I'm going to choose to hold the steering wheel straight. I'm going to stay in my lane. Keep your thoughts positive. Think about your gifts, your talents, your assignment. We're all different. I read that earlier in the scripture. God's created us all. We work in a body together. We all have different parts. The thumb can't say to the finger, I don't need you. Because the thumb doesn't really get into the ear like the little finger does. Or up the nose. It just, you just can't survive that way. God's made it. like the, oh, Don't pretend you don't do that. Come on. It's like my, I watch my kids. They bite their toenails with their they can get there. I'm like, how do you get your feet up there? I don't tell them off. I'm like, as I wish I could do that. <laughs> anyway, off point. Think of your gifts and talents and assignment. I love this. 1 Corinthians 3 verses 5 and 8 says, The Lord has assigned to each his task, and they will be rewarded according to their own labour. It's not about what the person next to you is doing. It's about the task you've been assigned to do. How are you thinking about that? How are you outworking that? You won't stay in your lane if you're thinking about everybody else's race and you're thinking about the wrong things. And here's the thing. Believe it or not, I used to do little athletics. And do you know how you get disqualified in a race? You step out of your lane. As soon as you step into someone else's lane, it's an instant disqualification. And you've got to remember, you veer where you steer. And if you're too busy thinking about everybody else's life, everybody else and what they're doing, you're going to veer off out of the preferred future that God has for you. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And thirdly, just three things I just want you to remember, is you reap what you speak. Proverbs 18:21 says this, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Our words have the ability to create. Because we're created in the image of God and God spoke things into being. He said, let there be and there was. And so we're creative beings and God has given us the ability to create. We might not create universes like God did, but you know you do create your universe? We had a conference five years ago now, I think. She speaks. And the catch cry was, you frame your world with the words you speak. In other words, if you say, my life didn't right, kind of turn out how I wanted it to be, I often say to people, what have you been saying over yourself? Because you frame your world. The box you feel you live in, you created that box. You frame your world by the words you speak. You reap what it is you speak. We need to watch our language. You need to speak positive. Speak his promises. The song we sang before, You'll never fa- you've not failed me yet. I may feel like it's not quite what I wanted it to be. I might feel like I'm a bit confused as to where this is. But God, I remind myself and sing over myself. You've not failed me yet. Speak His promises, His plans. God, I don't get it. And I would like to have done that. I'd like to have been able to sing. But God, Your Word says that You... I've just forgotten it. When Jeremiah 29, 11, For you know the plans you have for me. I've got plans and thoughts, but God, you know the plans you have for me. I'm gonna speak those into being, not what I wish I had, but what you have said for me, what you have said. And then speak his promises. Remind yourself how hey, you did it then, God. You can do it again. You did this, you can do it again. I've seen you move for them. And if you can move for them as a child of you, you can move for me as a child of you. Speak over yourself. I'll finish with this story. You've often heard us talk about Mitch. Our son Mitch was born with no fingers on his left hand. And one of the biggest concerns as a mum when we were talking about it was, what am I going to say to him when he actually, that day he comes to me and he has the realisation he's different from everybody else. So that was the one thing, if anything was going to grip my heart, that was the thing. What do I say? God, what do I say? And my husband, we were talking about it one day and he had this revelation and it has so set us free. So when Mitchie came to us and said, hey, why am I different? Before even thinking about it, Tony said to him, Mitch, we don't know why you were born with no fingers on your hand. But this is what we do know. It's like you were born with blonde hair. You've got beautiful blue eyes. You're funny. You're cute. I love the little dimple that sits here. You're vivacious. People like to be around you. You're very good looking. And you know what we're doing? We're creating his world, a framework around him. I don't know why I couldn't answer that. I could have said, well, actually, the doctor said, it doesn't really matter. I'm saying, you know what? I don't know, but let's get off that point and let me talk about what I do know. And there's lots of things you're going to find in life you don't know, but what do you know? Speak that over your life. You know, I, I did a bad thing. It was a silly thing to do, but I'm not silly. I just made a mistake. I'm not a mistake, I made a mistake. I did something wrong, but I'm not wrong. Oh, that feels bad, but I'm not bad because of what Christ has done for me. Start speaking life. You reap what it is you speak. Comparison wants to derail you and me from all that God has for us. She's a thief, she's biased, and she's a liar. And it's a scheme of the enemy because he wants you to shift the blame from what something you can actually deal with internally as to it being something externally that I have no control over. But the good news tonight is this. Comparison can be defeated. And the way we defeat it is by running our own race, the race that God has marked for each and every one of us. We all have our own race. And let's remember this, as we are running towards that finish line, throwing off everything that hinders, looking towards, I wanna finish with the author and the perfecter of my face. I'm gonna receive the crown that He has for me. And to do that, I'm gonna remember, I need to live where I look. I'm going to veer where I steer. So it's important where I'm steering. And I'm going to reap what I speak. And so what I speak needs to be positive, full of life and what God says over me. It's a usual suspect. And the Bible says that we are not to be unaware of the enemy's schemes. It's not something externally out there that's going to trip you up. It's something in here, but it's something we have the power with Jesus to overcome.